up. Um, I just got back from Atlanta. I was doing a training up there, and we have a few Georgia locations, more Georgia locations that are going to start up their Stable Moments program. So we're super excited for that. I obviously have a lot of Georgia connections because that's where Stable Moments started. I don't know why Stable Moments gets so much response rate when I do any trainings there, but it seems like there's just a lot of interest in Georgia. And it's probably because that's where Stable Moments started and maybe people have heard of it more and more in that area. But, you know, we are totally trying to branch out to the West. So don't forget that we have an online certification training now. Unfortunately, we did have to cancel our Illinois event because of COVID. So anyone that still wants to get certified, you can do it from the comfort of your own home through our online certification training and I promise you it's multimedia it's engaging it's gotten great reviews and I actually am able to give people really one-on-one support that I can't give them when we're in a training environment with a lot of people so there's actually some some real benefits to doing the online certification training Now, our guest for today actually is someone who took the online certification training. She is our new Pennsylvania location, so we're going farther up east, northeast this time. Uh, Her name is Marcy Talker. She is a therapist. She is also a foster mom, and she also has her own nonprofit that she is going to launch Stable Moments at. She's incredible and really vulnerable. You know, she really lets us behind the scenes on what fostering has been like for her and some of the, the truth of the work. And although, you know, a couple times she references like, gosh, I'm making this sound so awful. I think it's really important that we show the community at large what foster parents go through and the struggle that it is, the struggle that they're in so that we can be more led to circle around them, support them, give them the community that they need and understand that this work is not easy. You know, just because we're called to do something and we step up to the plate, that's just where the work begins, right? That's just where the work begins. And gosh, it is a lot of work and it's work that like hooks you in the heart and brings you through all of the ups and downs and, you know, pain and reward. So she's really real with us and she shares her experience. So jumping right into it, here's Marcy. Hi, I'm Rebecca Britt and this is the Stable Moments Podcast, the show where we discuss all things related to the foster care system and early childhood trauma from foster parents, trauma experts, former foster kids and beyond. We'll take a deep dive into the complexities of the foster care crisis in an effort to better understand how to fix it. Hey, Marcy, thank you so much for joining us on the Stable Moments podcast. I'm excited to kind of interview you in this way because um, I know you as becoming Stable Moments certified and we met at a conference and um, we met at a horse conference and actually Marcy had this like tiny little three month old bundle in her carrier on the front of her chest. And I was like, oh my gosh, she is brave. Like to um, be this 
close postpartum and be at this conference because I remember where I was at at three months postpartum and I was like, gosh, she flew with that baby and like made a whole bunch of assumptions, right? Like we all do. And then she saw like my big banner that talked about foster adopted kids. And she was like, oh, like this little peanut is a foster baby. And I was like, oh my gosh. So, um, so she wasn't three months postpartum, um, and she was fostering. So, um, I wanted to have Marcy on to kind of tell her story and tell her story of what are, what got her into fostering and then kind of what her journey has been so that we can see what it's like from another foster parent's point of view. So, Thank you. And can you tell us just a little bit about the beginning of, you know, why you chose to foster um, and what got you into, into foster care? Um, well, thanks for having me. Also, this is like a big fangirl moment, kind of. I'm so excited. <laughs> that, I know, I'm like, nerd, you know. Um, I actually... Ever, I remember being eight years old, and I don't know if you remember this show or anybody remembers on Discovery Health Adoption Story, and it was just chronicled the process of adoption, all types of adoption. And I knew at eight that was how I was going to build my family. Wow. I don't know why. I never wanted to have children myself. I'm a very disconnected um, thought, actually, and I just always thought that was how I was going to have kids, but that was what I was going to do. And I would watch those episodes over and over and over. So fast forward some years, um, I was finishing my graduate program. I'm a therapist, a uh, client-centered therapist, which I'm sure we'll get into because that was a, a whole other dynamic to also being a foster parent. And I approached my partner about fostering and she's like, you need to finish school first. Like you need to finish your internship and, and, and then we can look into it. And um, I had worked actually as a caseworker for a provider for our local children and youth services when I was in graduate school. Um, I was working with families who were still intact. They had a case open with the county for whatever reason and they had different goals they would have to meet. So as a provider, I would go out and I would help them do millions of different things, basically to close the case. And so that's also how then when it was time to find an agency, because I, I worked for uh, the, the agency at one point, they knew me very well. Um, that, that's who we went through. So when you were going into families, homes, and your goal was permanence, that was with biological families. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's sometimes a misconception that the counties or the workers want to come in and take kids out of homes. That's not true. Um, that's, that's really the absolute last thing they want to do because of a lot of different reasons. But one is, you know, you create a lot of trauma when you do that. Mm -hmm. um, and we just, they, so really keeping them in the home is a goal. Um, so let's say, you know, there's some kind of concern comes into the county, county worker will go out and I'm not a county worker. I'm just speaking from working with them. Um, but they they will go out and they would decide if they needed to open a case or not. Now, sometimes certain situations, the children have to be removed immediately because it's, sure. it's dangerous. Um, sure. But if not, they, 
they open a case, the, the court and the county come up with different goals they want the parents to meet. And they might be, um, I mean, this is everything from seeking um, mental health services, sometimes even helping with hoarding type situations and cleaning the home, making it more appropriate for a child to live there. So that was my job. Then they decide how much they want us to go out and we, go, we do that. So you actually did in-home therapy? I wasn't acting as a therapist, but it was hard to keep that hat off sometimes. I was helping them meet their goals at the county. And at that time, we were not fostering. And I remember, you know, these people, people needed help. Their lives have fallen apart. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, there's a reason that the case is open. They're petrified. I'm there to take their kids and the county's there to take their kids, mm -hmm. which is really nice when you show, have to show up on a Saturday unannounced, like they're real happy to see you. Mm -hmm. um, but the goal is to just try to help them. And sometimes, a lot of times I would help them with things maybe that weren't necessarily, which, you know, you got to watch your boundaries too on the list. Like um, if they had animals in the home, because I have a nonprofit animal rescue um, and I noticed that there was a flea issue. I would give, you know, flea and tick treatment, dog food, cat food, like stuff that, okay, don't worry about this. Mm -hmm. Worry about this other stuff. Sure. Um, or getting clothes for the kids and the parents, um, or things that they needed, um, in addition to trying to meet all of the goals. Because there's really no, there are resources out there, but there's more resources once the kids are already out of the home. And there's a lot of shame when mm -hmm. you have a case open with, with CYS and people are, you know, worried that maybe nobody will help them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how did that experience of going into these homes and helping these people and seeing where a lot of the kids that end up in foster care come from, how did it inform or did it inform your decision to want to build your family through uh, foster care and adoption working in ancillary it was it gave me a different viewpoint of how people are very quick to judge mm. and you know we have to remember that a lot of times we we are we're trying our best mm -hmm. with what we have at that time and and maybe i don't know if people are listening are like what is she talking about you know this person's doing drugs how's that their best but you can't you can't go in to judge our fellow person mm -hmm. you kind of just have to help them with you know where they're at so typically the kids that I worked with those families remained intact mm -hmm. I loved I loved that job I, I absolutely loved it I loved and it was the challenge but I and I would often get paired with families who'd went through multiple caseworkers mm -hmm. because they were labeled um difficult and off-putting offensive aggressive um, history, you know, of aggression and just very angry with workers, but you have to think where they're coming from. Somebody's coming into their home and they're judging everything they do. And yeah, I, again, I get, there's a reason to get this case open, but you can't meet somebody with animosity. And like, if you're meeting them like, oh, I'm here because I'm the caseworker and you're down here because you have a case open with, with the county people put up their defenses immediately. Yeah. I can't imagine, like, I cannot imagine how offended and how vulnerable I would feel if somebody showed up and asked to 
see my son's bedroom and then I'd be like oh my gosh there's stuff all over and like I use it as an office as well and is this good enough and what's their checklist say I mean I can't imagine mm -hmm. so um and I would be like no like you can't come in you know <laughs> like like violating you know it's hard totally yeah yeah and it, it's the worst time you know I always would say like this is one of the worst times in these families' life, and I'm coming in. Hi, I'm Marcy. I work for fill in the blank. You know, I need to come in your house three days a week. Like, and it's the worst time. But at the same time, like, it was this really unique and special opportunity to walk alongside families through the worst times in their lives and watch them and help them navigate that. And then eventually the case is closing. And I would joke and say, you know, no offense, but... I don't want to see you again unless it's like we run into each other at the grocery store, you know, or something. And um, you, you go through a lot with people. It, it's hard because it's that first, you know, if you think of kind of backwards, you know, um, Pennsylvania, I think it's 18 to 24 months, you know, after a, be, a case being open that they do look at moving like forward with, with other options. Um, but it was a special that they would cry when it was time for me to go. I would cry cry i mean there was some when you're like see ya or like i'm emailing the county like can we close can we close like we've met all our sure but it was special that, that's great i mean it's we we rarely hear about the experience of a social worker or any type of caseworker that gets the opportunity to work with biological families and provide the resources that they need to stay intact and we would love to get to a point i think where social workers were seen um, as a help and acted as a help and um, nobody felt stigmatized or judged. You know, I think that's a, a tall order, but I do know, I do know that um, it's really special to just give people the little bit of help that they need so that they can show up for their families. So that's I love that you had that. I love that. So Tell me about your journey into uh, foster care or into fostering. It, it is truly a roller coaster. We started off with teenagers. We had two of them. Um, one came to us. They both had a, one. She had just turned 17. And um, the other came really only a month or two later. And she had also just turned 17. How did you choose teenagers? So, you know, you think... You know, and I, I have to like kind of chuckle to myself. I'm on some foster care support Facebook pages and you see the new foster parents and they're like, my room, we just got approved and everything's ready. I'm so excited. And you're like, oh my God, you have no idea. Like, <laughs> welcome. So you think, you know, you get, you get approved, you do this long process and then you think you, the phone rings, right? And you get a kid. No, <sighs> we learned that. Um, just, you know, our agency knew kind of what we were open to at that point and they still call about any the, they keep that in mind they still will call and we learned just because you say yes doesn't mean that they're coming mm. um so those yes these teen these yeses happen to you pan out so walk us through though, like, so you learned, you learned that it doesn't just, you don't just get licensed and then you get a call. So what does happen? So basically what, what happens is you have your, there's this kind of this structured system, you know, there's like your county agencies, right? So 
whatever county you're in, their child welfare agency. Um, and then you have all your surrounding counties and then you have um, different providers. So you have agencies that do all different types of things from like what I, my old job was to foster care, adoption, all that stuff. So your county case, you know, there's a call that comes in, they go out and investigate or for whatever reason, they decide they want to remove the child or children from the home. They will send a referral out to all the providers. Mm. All the providers get this referral. And, you know, sometimes there's like the male, female, like that's it. There's an age maybe. Like sometimes there's a little more information, sometimes not. So the providers get the referral. They, um, they, all, they look through and think, or think about, you know, what their foster families, is anybody a fit? Or do they think anybody would be a good match? Um, they send your information then to the county. Um, but then you might have, you know, seven other agencies sending information to the county for the mm-hmm. same referral. Um, so they'll often, like, let's say a kid um, has been going to the same school for a while. They're going to try to get a family that's in that district or mm-hmm. in that area. And that's not always possible. But then in our area, like, forget what it's called, but basically they can stay at that school and transportation has to be provided or let's say there's they already know there's going to be supervised visits you know they're not going to pick a family that's they're going to pick that's closest closer to so it's more convenient for the supervised visits then so you wait they call you you know you see the number but you kind of know why they're calling and you wait and wait and wait and wait for your phone to ring and they give you sometimes they have literally it's the age sometimes they have more information you say yes or no, you usually have to say, give a pretty quick answer, then they let you know. Now, sometimes the agencies never let, let our agency know. So we just never get any calls. Mm-hmm. We never get a no. Even when, like, one of the biggest things in foster care that we've learned, like with, with the baby, for example, is in foster care, even when something seems 100%, it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing is ever a hundred, you know, for sure. You just never know. So you had chosen, like you put on your application that you wanted teenagers. We had school age and up at that time. Okay. So one of your first calls was for uh, teenagers. The first call we got was for, for young children. And um, my partner was not on board at the time. And I, of course, had been waiting for that call, and we said no, which was devastating, but I get it. Another call was for two siblings, nine and seven. We said yes. We had a date they were coming. The county never even got back to our worker Mm -hmm. to to say that they didn't need us. Okay, so then you you got the 17-year-old. So were they, like, siblings? No. um, They were – it was weird because they were – 14 hours apart, but they, like, their ages, but they had never met oh. or anything like oh, that. Oh, so they just happened to... Um, yeah, it was weird. So they just happened to call you with two different kids at the same time? Um, we had a couple weeks oh, okay. in between. One of them came, um, she'd been living in a group home, but not for long, you know, um, family just struggling and couldn't care for her and her siblings. And... Uh, the other one, there was a no contact order um, with the family, and she was already residing in a, a group home type of situation. Okay, so 
they come to your home and like how has you know from your first placement to where you are now like how what has your experience been like yeah what has your experience been like how many kids have you taken in we've had four all together in almost two years a little less than two years it's it's hard mm -hmm. you know you don't know what you haven't dealt with until a kid is standing in front of you displaying the same behaviors that you thought you dealt with many years ago mm. you know and then you're also dealing with with trauma there's always trauma mm -hmm. it doesn't matter you know just moving homes is trauma mm -hmm. even if the home wasn't ideal that's their parents and that was their home and moving them causes is a traumatic experience and that looks different in every every kid um it's lonely mm. it's like sometimes it feels like you're in a river by yourself like doing this and nobody is around mm. and um people don't understand and it's also not their business which is it's just kind of this weighing act you know if i'm carrying my six-year-old you don't need to comment to me that you not to carry her because you don't know why i'm carrying her and i don't need to stand there and give you this whole reasoning about secure attachment and emotional age being half of chronological age or why you know we're parenting in maybe ways that look different than yours because our kids come from hard places mm -hmm. and that's their story to tell and also you know well that's normal that's a 17 year old and you, it's like i know that too people are trying to be helpful but it, but it's like no this is not normal like this behavior is not a regular teenage behavior mm. and it and it kind of then again you feel like they don't understand nobody understands so where have you been able to get your support for or like when you're in those places that are very isolating and you wish you could reach out to, you know, the people that you normally would, maybe parents, maybe friends, maybe whatever of yours, but then you know that you'd have to explain it all and it, you don't want to explain it all and you don't want to breach anybody's confidentiality and all that. Like, where is the safe support? I know, making this sound so, such like a wonderful experience. I'm sorry, it is. I'm sure we'll get to that. Um, honestly, I couldn't find any until one day I was, I'm a chronic researcher. I love to learn. Um, and I knew, I didn't understand why we, certain things were happening with our teenagers. And I was scouring everywhere to find something. And now when, now older in foster care terms, typically means five years old and older. There's, there's nobody, there's not that many folks that foster teenagers. So that was even, you know, I think I'd found an article about, you know, older kids and Karen is an eight year old. Okay, not really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, I found trauma-informed parenting on Spotify. Wow. My friend Robin, um, mm -hmm. I cried. I mean, when I listened to her and Paris Goodyear Brown, I was like, oh my gosh, this makes everything make sense. Mm. This makes like in the, you know, self-regulation and dysregulation and, you know, our brain being in a space of this dysregulation almost all the time when we've experienced trauma, even though we're not necessarily in that traumatic experience, we're not, maybe we're not in that experience anymore. Our brain is still operating from a place of fight, flight, or freeze. Right. And 
I had a play therapy conference not long after, and it, I happened to join a seminar that talked about it as well. And that was kind of the click of like, why don't we already know about this? Mm-hmm. And everybody needs to understand being trauma informed because you expect your caseworkers to be trauma informed. And we have wonderful, Kate, we've had wonderful, with wonderful agency workers, we've had good caseworkers. They're not trauma informed. Mm. They don't understand how the brain acts from a place of of unsafety. They they just don't they they don't understand. And mm-hmm. it's not helpful. You know, these are maladaptive coping skills that were used once for survival and we don't these kids don't have to use them anymore. And yes, it is an extremely long and tedious process to try to help their brain to recognize that they're safe. But when you have account, you know, uh, your your workers pretty much um, not understanding that at all, that's that's hard. But hearing, listening to those podcasts, including the stable moment, including yours. Yeah, yeah. Well, so did your training, your licensure, like to be a licensed foster care uh, provider, did your training? have trauma and it's and it's interesting because I know it's different per state and and all of that but there was another uh, foster mom on here that said you know she was talking about her journey she wanted a baby straight out of foster care but she said that there was trauma-informed training during hers but they made it very much sound like if they're teenagers they'll have trauma so she was like went into it like, well, we're getting a baby. So I guess this doesn't pertain to us, um, which is really unfortunate. I mean, and she ended up, of course, because you said that they call with anybody, she ended up getting older children placed into her home or sibling sets or whatever. And of course it would be helpful to have trauma education. But if you're told that when you're going to be a foster parent, like, you know, the teenagers have all this trauma, like no wonder nobody's taking in teenagers. And because I've also heard this thing of like, I'm a therapeutic placement versus I'm not a therapeutic placement. And I'm like, is there like special therapy? I know in Vermont, like you could get like therapeutic placement certified versus not. And I'm like, everybody needs to be a therapeutic placement. What is this like differentiation? Like one is just a house with a shell of a person and one has empathy. Like, I don't, I'm like confused to like. Uh, it is right because there were all therapeutic placements. Cause like I said, no matter, you know, they could have had a wonderful upbringing and maybe their parents are separated and mom gets cancer and passes away and nobody in the family can take the child. Like that's trauma. And you're going to see same behaviors from that child that you see from the child that was severely neglected and deprived of food, clothing, attachment all of that stuff trauma looks very similar you know from a brain perspective looks very similar regardless of how it happened um no we we did not get any um nothing it's just crazy to me because like i'm thinking in my head like okay there's people that want to be foster parents there's people that want to be mentors there's people that want to be like first thing is let's talk about a trauma and how it affects the brain. Mm-hmm. So if that's not on the docket, if that doesn't even make it, what is it? Just like, hey, 
you need to do a background check and this and we'll give you a call and like you need to you can only take six kids in and you probably should have a bed ready um yeah and i don't okay you know i don't think it's necessarily because they don't want it to work i mean as a trauma-informed mental health professional that sees primarily children also with attachment disorders that is a big factor in that it, in it not working, but I think that they don't necessarily, they don't know. And I hate to put it this way, but they don't have time because they're, they're right. so overworked. And of course they want their, these kids to be safe that they're putting in homes, but I, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand. Um, I know it was a big slap in the face when we realized that our, the county workers were not trauma informed and when they made decisions based on not being trauma informed that we believed were extremely harmful and only mm -hmm. reiterated and rewarded maladaptive behaviors that were a history for this child and didn't even ask us a, didn't say a word to us well what happened nothing like mm -hmm. of course you know, there's the fear response when you're dysregulated all the time. You you go from you you're already in a fear, right? So something that is not meant to be a trigger will push you right over the edge to complete dysregulation. And so of course that person feels scared. They feel all those feelings, but we have to look at it from a trauma perspective that this person is already operating from the space of fear all the time. Mm -hmm. And for you not even to ask me as the adult that you decided as the state of Pennsylvania in your county, you decided that I was capable of caring. You, you didn't even, you didn't even ask us. Yeah. So you're talking about this like um, situation where you feel like you didn't get say or your voice wasn't heard, which it's, it's crazy because we feel like, um, or we hear a lot on the podcast that children foster care's voices aren't heard so do you feel like you're as a as a foster parent your voice gets heard or do you at least have an opportunity to um advocate for your voice being heard um and did, were you prepared for your voice to not be heard that you it, you were a placement and you know you're just a one little piece in this much bigger puzzle I've heard other foster families also refer to feeling like uh, glorified babysitters. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they decide through all of this rigorous process that you're capable to parent, right? You know, um, they want you to advocate. But when you do, you're not, you're not always met with some um, people that want to listen. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that's really difficult is sometimes the people that do want to listen and they're on you, they're there with you, you know, our, our agency workers and sometimes the county workers, their hands are tied. Mm -hmm. The experience with the, the baby um, went a different way than what we had hoped for. And it, it worked out the beautiful way, you know, we, um, but we just felt like nobody was listening to us. Mm -hmm. How long did you have that baby? Um, seven months. Wow. Um, I get, I, I, and there's so many pieces to this puzzle and, you know, I'm not going to share them all. So hopefully it's the story, you know, it can all be met with grace. But um, when I'm speaking from a clinical point of view to court system, 
about attachment and object permanence and secure attachment and attachment theory and um, developmental trauma and how in utero trauma affects the brain can affect you know even attachment issues um, and I met with a response of well of course you're supposed to be attaching you're the foster family now I'm not talking about the word attachment as just you know taking care of I'm using it clinically mm -hmm. and um, they didn't even know what I was yeah so yeah I I um, get a sense that, and you said this earlier that, you know, this is a way that you wanted to build your family. So as far as like your hopes and expectations of like, are you going to continue to foster? And then if a child comes up for adoption, you'll be there. Are you going to try to find children that are specifically for adoption? Like it can be taxing if you truly want to build a family and you're hoping for adoption to continue with situations where reunification really is the goal and it's going to continue to happen. Yeah, that kid, that baby, she was not reunified. But it, I think, you know, we, we chose foster care as opposed to just adoption initially because we i want to help kids i want to help them i want them i want them to know that they matter and that they belong and that they mean something mm -hmm. and sometimes the season of that is only six months mm -hmm. and you might think that's maybe going to go towards forever but that's not what was meant to happen and that's okay um we had you know now let's say we we do have a we have a child in our care the case is moving towards termination of parental rights and adoption is going to be coming as an option and it is a child that we would like to adopt then we would adopt mm -hmm. well that's beautiful um, because like you're um just serving in any way that you can be of use it's funny that i kind of made the assumption of like growing your family is permanent for whatever reason you know what i mean and it's like no. Growing your family can yeah. be seasons of like all of these. I mean, Dr. John DeGarmo, when he was on here, he was saying like all of these kids are us growing our family, whether they're here for, you know, three weeks or three years or 30 years. I like that you said that because I didn't think of it when I phrased it that way. But you're you're right, even though because you just don't you never know. Right. And you can't we can't live in uncertainty and all a lot of foster care is living in uncertainty and it's you really have to try to put that aside and know that for however long they're there whether it's a couple days or or forever that you they are your part of your family and then their family becomes part of your family you know we have this interesting extended almost extended family with the the baby now and the folks that she's with and it's a really neat relationship. It's very special. I'm very grateful for it. That's very cool. Yeah. And I know I've heard from different uh, people that have said, you know, sometimes it, it, it doesn't take long to make a lasting impact. Like you, your two days, your two weeks, like can make a lasting impact on a child's life. It will. And you, you know, the thing you, you might never see the result of that and that's okay you know or you might be a part of somebody's story and you know though there was that lady i stayed with and she had this dog and he just used to always sleep with me and maybe you're that lady and that was your dog and you might never hear that you know especially when you're fostering teenagers you know 
and raising teenagers like you hope one day maybe they'll but that's not why we we do it but it's still um we, we do we do have another child with us um we needed some time after the baby left and um we got a call that there was a, a family that put in their 30-day notice we were like okay well you know and of course my clinic i'm like what's going on why are there's why is there disrupted why are they disrupting this placement oh no no behavioral issues everything so i'm like okay you know whatever doesn't matter we thought we had a few days we got a call i think it was the next day and said um they want her out today can can we bring her can i bring her later and so we, we threw a room we put a room together and um our little sweet little girl came very cool so sometimes it's very quick yeah <laughs> so like you know, you have like an hour, two hours, but we did it. So what have you, ha, what have been your biggest wins as like, what have been the most rewarding moments and you know, what, what keeps you going? You know, I think it's, it's hard. To, like we have had teenagers, like 17, 18 teenagers, you know, age, we've had baby and now we have it on this six year old. So they all show it in different ways. <laughs> Sometimes the way you hear them talk to you, talk to other people about you mm. it might look like they don't go right to their room they talk to you for a few minutes or they you know they can go in the refrigerator and make themselves a snack whenever they're hungry sometimes it's real little stuff like that it's uh then falling asleep um with the door open when they shut their door because they have had an extremely traumatic past and sleep with a knife under their pillow and one night they leave the door open mm. And who knows, maybe it was an act, you know, but like it's, it's having this continued relationship with the, fa- the uh, extended, extended family with the baby. Mm. It's the updates. It's seeing, it's us talking about our other foster experiences and being supports to each other in that way. With this age, it's been, you know, when they say they had a lot of homes and they've had a lot of moms but I want you to be my mom and I want to stay here forever. Mm. Now, this is also, you know, it could change tomorrow. I sure. hate you. You know, the, the, I get that. But um, it's even like the now struggle of bedwetting because, which we know means she's sleeping better. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful though. Like the, the, like I got chills and got emotional a couple of times, like just the little things, like, these tiny things that are showing you that a kid's safer or that you're making a difference or that they feel like they have a place where they belong or that you can give the gift of non-judgment and belonging and a space like space is really important like our own safe space and people that aren't in this realm or haven't been in care rarely think about how much we value like our own space Like we might think about it once in a while when we're like in a hotel, like one day too long and we're like, Ooh, I need to get back to like my room. That's like a really privileged view of wanting our own space. It's a big deal. It has to be the little things because I know it can be hard to go in and I know foster families struggle and I've struggled with it too. Like you want to just give them everything that the world already didn't give them. I made that mistake. Um, at one point and uh, you know you can't go into it expecting 
anybody them to trust you because why should they mm-hmm. so it has to be little stuff you have to to look for it and remember it and like I have I, I still am in contact with one of the girls that one of the teenagers that we fostered and she's one in a million you know like statistically too she has her own apartment she's doing well she got into college I'm so proud of her she I have her picture hanging that she gave me and like I texted her not too long ago and I didn't hear back, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, when our brain isn't able to operate from a place of safety, we're not able to do any of those things. Yeah. And, you know, that's what foster care is also about. It's, it's giving somebody the ability to feel safe. Mm-hmm. They know that, that when they get home from school, there's not going to be a padlock on the door because they were evicted during the day. Mm-hmm. They know there's food in the fridge. They know they're going to be warm at night. They know there's no bugs crawling on them. They know they don't have to find food to feed their siblings. When our brain doesn't have to worry about meeting those basic needs, we can think about other things like our feet. Like they can think about other things like their futures and who they want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so beautiful. It's cool. So um, tell us a little bit about Gray Muzzle Manor and, uh, you know, your nonprofit and your, your plans for the future. So in addition to being a therapist, a clinical mental health professional. Um, I have a nonprofit called Gray Muggle Manor Sanctuary Inc. And I think it's just Gray Muggle Manor on Facebook. But um, it's a nonprofit we rescue, we provide senior dogs and hospice care with hospice services, senior adoption services, and basically a place to go. The platform of that or of the nonprofit really is similar to um, Marcy as a therapist as well and it's just that every moment matters and every every soul every you know in that case every animal matters acceptance non-judgment being present this is what they teach us um, so we provide hospice care for senior animals some get, do get adopted out a lot of community outreach stuff to help pets and families stay together so we have a, a program called safer support for animals and families enabling recovery so if somebody uh they're seeking inpatient drug and alcohol treatment, mental health treatment, homelessness, even, you know, surgeries. You know, folks shouldn't have to make a permanent decision about the one thing that's been there for them for a temporary problem. That's not fair to ask. Mm -hmm. But just like when I was a caseworker, like nobody, there's nobody that's doing that because you're a bad pet owner. Mm -hmm. Because you, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of judgment. They're only looking at the problem from after they're already separated. And okay, how can we adopt this animal out? No, no, no. Let's keep them together if we can. Um, mm. So that's a long-term foster care program with the goal of reunification. Um, provide when we can, you know, assist with veterinary care for folks that need it or food or whatever. I love whatever that. we can do. I love it too. I just, everybody matters. You know, we forget that we're all really not that different. I know. And nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I really hope that I become a heroin addict. That's, you know, or I really hope that I meet somebody that beats the heck out of me. Nobody, like, you never know. Or I really hope that I'm going to lose my job and get evicted. Nobody, like, you just don't know. Yeah, I love that. I mean, there's so many we're all one bad decision away from being in a dire situation. We're all, you you just have no idea. You don't know. You don't know. 
and then I do equine assistive psychotherapy too. It's switching back to the therapy. Um, I'm certified in a gala, which is the equine model that we use. The next big thing is stable moments because when I met you that day at that conference, I looked at your table and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, I didn't even know this was a thing. It is the community's responsibility to also help these kids. You, and knowing, you know, having the different point of views of caseworkers and the agencies from so many, it's not their fault. You can't expect them to be completely responsible for everything. Foster families too. It's the community that needs to step up to help the kids in their community. But the problem is, is nobody knows that it's happening in their backyard mm-hmm. and they don't know how to help. And, you know, we see it too. Well, how, what can we help? What can we do? And I am so excited to launch it. I well, we, yeah, we are so excited. You know, they're definitely, we're excited to have you as a location and definitely, definitely needs to be an on-ramp, an easier on-ramp for community members. It's also not community members' fault that they're, Mm-mm. that there's no on-ramp besides become a foster parent. That's a huge ask. And right. so, I mean, somebody needs to come out and make an easier on-ramp and introduction. And that's really, you know, where I see this headed as far as just bridging the gap between people involved and people not involved. Um, in, in giving them that opportunity to take some responsibility because, you know, we can sit all day and try to vote, vote somebody in that's going to do something or whatever, or we could go spend an hour with a kid and make some real. And nobody, nobody talks about this stuff. Nobody wants to think that it's even happening unless, because I have, I guess, such a large platform of the nonprofit, people know about our foster care journey mm-hmm. and people do want to help but they don't yeah. know how, right. and maybe they can't foster. So they don't know what to do. Right. Then when, you know, they receive the trauma informed training, like that was, I felt like, and feel like as a foster parent, as a therapist, I have to do something about mm-hmm. this because this is affecting the foster parents burnout rates. Mm-hmm. This is disrupted placements because foster families don't know what to do and the caseworkers aren't able to be the help that they need. Mm-hmm. And if they can just get an hour a week, like you, I can't even tell you. Like at a place that understands them with community members that understand them. And hopefully yeah. that community can grow to a point where that you start seeing the ripple effect of now trauma informed community members out in the world where you live, where you don't feel like somebody's saying you shouldn't hold your six-year-old, um, but they're saying like, "Oh, hey, how are you? Who's this? Is this Isabel?" You know, like, how are, you know, and it's just yeah. more of a, a welcoming feeling for everyone. This, you know, I really appreciate you giving people kind of the real and raw experience of foster parents and the work that you continue to do and. Um, you know, I think that it's a very good call to community members and the rest of us to, to to be a support. And it does shed light on what the experience is like and that nobody really has the answers, but you can try and you can show up and you can give moments. And, you know, I, I really appreciate all that you do. And it feels very much that you are right where you're supposed to be. Um, and I know that it doesn't always feel that way. <laughs> Not with an entrepreneur brain, for sure. Entrepreneur ADHD anxiety brain, never. But you know, you're working on it. 
So thank you. Yeah, well, thank you. I will um, link to where people can find uh, Gray Muzzle Manor on Facebook and your webpage if they want to support you and follow you. And thank you so much for, for sharing your story with everyone. Thank you so much.